0: When I was thinking about the vision for this year, the Lord took me back to basics. And as Claire Nelson said last week, this was a phrase that was in my heart as well, but it's a quote from Bill Hybels, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. What happens here affects what happens out there, not just for us, obviously, but for across Uh, the town, across the country. But the local church is the hope of the world. And therefore, what we do, how we structure ourselves, how we move forward, is important not just for us, but for the world around us. And I began to think about what I believed the church should really be all about. And it took me back to my early days in Essex, back in 1984, when three of us couples plus a few singles went out from the place where we were and we started a new church. And it was with a blank piece of paper and when you do that, you have to go back to basics. Well, what, what is church? What does it mean? What's it really all about? And like many in those days, we looked at the New Testament to see how church was in its early days, how it was formed, and the model of, of what we were trying to create was, was, was fueled or, or based upon that, um, that model that we found in the New Testament, fueled, of course, by the new wine of the Holy Spirit. And it's this that I believe is the model that we should still aspire to. That, that simple model that was dynamic, that was effective. So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts and chapter 2. We'll actually start reading at verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then those who had, reached his, had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It's a wonderful picture of church and a wonderful thing to aspire to. And the first thing those verses tell us is that they were devoted. They were devoted The word translated devoted here means to hang on to something or someone and not let go. It means to take hold of with a tight grip that you're not going to be wrestled away from. That's the word that's translated devoted there. So being part of the church for these early Christians was not a passing fancy. They were committed totally to the church. The freedom into which they'd come as a result of receiving salvation and being filled with the Spirit meant that everything had changed for them. They'd realigned their lives around this new thing that had happened in their lives. They'd laid down everything they'd formerly knew and had embraced Jesus as the Messiah, and that changed everything. And so they were devoted to this new thing. Remember from the previous verse... We know that there were, uh, by this time, over 3,000 of them. So they were not all meeting in one place. However, there was a complete commitment to the apostles and to the Lord. In our day, so many things vie for our attention. We all have many commitments. Family, job, mortgage. And you can all name your own list there. And all of those things are good and important. However, we do well to consider the commitment of the early church to the purposes of God in their lives. They were devoted. They were not going to give up. They were going to hang on. They were determined. And they were going to press through to see this new thing that God established in their hearts come through to completion. So what were they committed to? Well, the verse goes on. Firstly, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know and understand the truth of the word of God, especially as it spoke about Jesus and all that he came to achieve. They wanted to deepen their relationship with God and to remain true to what Jesus had come to establish. So they were devoted to the teaching of the word of God, devoted to it. And I believe teaching is a core part of what God has established amongst us. It's a core part of what God has called us to be. A teaching center, a place where the word of God is taught and the place where people can grab hold of the word and live in the truth of it. Perhaps that's just because I'm a teacher, but I believe it's the truth that sets us free. And the more we bathe ourselves in the truth, the more freedom we walk in. And have our values and our thinking shaped by it. And there are many opportunities within BCC to access good teaching. Quite apart from Sunday mornings we have or Sunday evenings in brands, we have Going Deeper, we have the, the Bible School. And just as an aside, got a new leaflet out, and I'm taking the Bible School on the road this year. When we finish our current term, the next Bible School will be in Nottingham area. So it's accessing a whole new bunch of people. So it's not too late to sign up, but you'll have to come with me in the car if you want to be part of the next, next tranche. And I'm quite excited about that. We have the Bible school. We have Going Deeper. We have the schools that we run from time to time. So the school of prophecy, the school of evangelism, the school of prayer, where we can focus on a specific subject and and go deeper with it. We have home groups. We have the Freedom in Christ course for those starting out. We have the Ladies Bible Study. We have the Bible book group. There are endless opportunities for people to, to get into the word. And we believe it's crucial to what we are. And I believe these activities are key to us growing and coming to maturity. And I want to encourage all of us to connect with one or more of these activities. As Christians, we're called to lifelong learning. And the more you know, the more you you realize you have much still to learn. And so I want to encourage, get into the word. Grab hold of the truth. Get the scripture in some way. Connect with one of these groups. Or in some way, grab hold of the word for yourself, but grow, because the more we get into the truth, the more we will be free, and the more we will be effective. And they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. The second thing they were devoted for was fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means a common sharing. They shared things together. They didn't just share their sweets They shared much more. And as Christians, we are called to fellowship, to sharing. In verse 44, it translates almost the same word or the word from the same rooters. They had all things in common. They had all things in common. In other words, they didn't say that what's mine is mine and you can't have it. They were committed to supporting each other out of their substance. That was what fellowship was about. It wasn't just about having a cup of coffee once a week with somebody. Important though that is, and I'm not diminishing that because that is an important way of connecting, but it meant more than that. It meant giving of their lives to one another to see the good of the whole community lifted. Having a cup of coffee is a way we can experience fellowship at one level, but it meant much more than that for these people. It meant sharing their lives together, supporting one another as each had need. And I believe this is important for any church to grow. In order to trust someone, you have to get to know them. In order to know somebody, you have to take time to get to know them. And that cannot just happen on a Sunday morning. It's why home home groups remain fundamental to what we do as a church. And again, I want to encourage you, if you're not in one, get connected so that you can grow in fellowship with the rest of the body. And home groups are also a key pastoral care within the church. Um, it's the way we manage pastoral care is through our home group leaders, so that everybody has somebody that they can go to. So I just want to encourage you, if, you haven't, if you're not connected with one, or if you're not connected with the Bible study on a, on a Friday morning, or, or any other fellowship group, get connected. Because fellowship is crucial for the building of the church. However, even home groups are limited. And our fellowship should continue beyond formal meetings. And flow into our support for one another. As each has needs. We can all help somebody. We all have something to give. It's about seeking the need. Seeing the need. And seeking to fill it. So they were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. Thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This was not limited just to their collective gatherings. As we've mentioned, there were over 3,000 of them by this point. So there was no way they could all come together in one place. There wasn't a building big enough in, in Jerusalem to house them, unless they all went up to the temple. So they all met and broke bread in their homes. Ate together with a glad and sincere heart. And clearly the sharing of the bread and wine was central to their worship and to their fellowship together. And it wasn't limited to collective gathering, but they shared the bread and wine together whenever there was a, they, were, they met for a meal. We know from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that as the church developed, communion became a central part of the gathered church as well. When they met together, it was for communal meal, which was part, which, a part of which was communion. And when I was reading this, I was challenged. I began thinking about and wondering why charismatic churches such as ours have generally only celebrated communion once a month. If this meal is so central and important for the early church, why do we do it less frequently than they did? And I asked this question of the wider leadership team a couple of weeks ago. And one of the answers was that we don't have time to fit it in. That's not really a good enough reason, is it? The cross is the center of our faith. All the benefits we have can only come because of what Jesus achieved on the cross. Remembering and celebrating this fact needs to be top of our agenda. So going forward, we're going to make time for communion each week. And it will be celebrated in different ways depending on who's leading. But nevertheless, it will become a core of our our worship because it ought to be. And I believe that's a major change. So they were devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. The fourth thing they were devoted to was prayer. Nothing happens without prayer. And I believe we live in a day when we need to be increasing our prayer life. And that's why I ran the school of prayer last year. This is a day in which we see increasing godlessness in our world, where values that we've taken for granted have been eroded, where the church um, everywhere is retreating. And if we're to see any kind of breakthrough, it will be powered by prayer. At the moment, we have our Sunday night prayer meeting and our monthly prayer meeting at at Maxine's house. Prayer also takes place in home groups. However, there are a couple of initiatives that will give us additional opportunities to pray. Firstly, when we discussed it at the wider leadership team meeting a week or so back, we, we agreed it would be a good thing for once a month on the first Tuesday of each month to bring the home groups together for a corporate prayer session. And that will be with worship and with declaration and with prayer and with seeking God for our nation and for our town. So the first Tuesdays of each month, we will be gathering for prayer, not in home groups. That will be at a central location yet to be booked, but we're going to do that as from next month. Hmm? June. June. Did I say June? From June. Sorry. (laughs) I apologize. Thank you, Angie, for correcting me. From June, (laughs) Um, yeah, so that will be 7.30 till 9 p.m., first Tuesday of each month from June, and it will be a led prayer meeting where we'll focus on specific issues and pray for our nation and for our town. Secondly, um, the ministers of the town also have have had this same burden, and we've agreed to come together as churches to pray also. Uh, From May the 1st, on the 1st, Sorry, the first Sunday in May, not May the 1st, the first Sunday in May, each Sunday evening at 6.30pm, the churches will gather together, those who are available, those who want to, to pray along these same lines, to pray for our town, to pray for our nation and so on. Um, And each month it will be led by a different church. We're doing the first one. uh, But but all of them, we decided it would be better to do them all at one venue rather than keep moving around so people always know where to go. So they will be at King's, but we will be leading that first one. Um, So if if you're available on that first Sunday in May, it would be great to have as many as, as can come to gather together and to pray with other believers because it's in our unity that things happen. 6th of May, that's the date. Uh, Thirdly, uh, we will once more be supporting the Thy Kingdom Come initiative. Remember, it was uh, one that was kicked off last year by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And and the idea, the way we ran it last year was that each church hosted a a different uh, prayer meeting on a different night between Ascension and Pentecost. Well, as ministers, we didn't think it worked that well, actually. And sometimes you've got to hold your hand up and say... Okay, didn't quite work, and particularly, I mean, if, for example, the one we held, there was only one person who wasn't from amongst us. There didn't invalidate the prayer, but it, if you are doing a corporate prayer gathering, you want more people from other churches as well. So we felt it didn't work. So what we've decided uh, to do instead this year, during that period, there will be a twenty-four ten prayer room available. And again, it will be at King's because they've just set up a prayer room for people if they want to go at any time during the week to pray, to pray in that room, to pray with anyone else who is in that room. And that will all culminate on the, the, on the sun, Sunday evening of Pentecost with a celebration at St. Mary's. So that is going to be a 10 days of prayer um, that will be taking, a part, uh, taking place across the town um, during between Ascension and Pentecost. Not being an anglican i can 't give you the dates for either of those, but there 's some time towards the end of may twentieth of May, so it'll be uh, basically at the thirtieth of May, the ending, something like that so that that 's all going to happen um, in the months to come and I also want to encourage you during that same period last year, some of us did the Daniel fast, and if you' up for doing it again. I'm going to do it over that same period. Essentially, the Daniel fast is where you simplify your diet during that period in order to set yourself to pray. So that'll be 10 days of half fasting. Prayer is the key. If we want to see change in this town, if we want to see change in this country, it's got to come from prayer. And even though prayer is is often the least popular thing we want to do. It's the one thing that is going to make a difference. And I, th- I'm, I, I think we can carry on just doing the same old thing and not seeing any growth or seeing any, any break, breakthrough. But if we want to see breakthrough, then we have to be devoted to prayer, just as the early church were. And so, so this is why we're doing these initiatives. And I just want to encourage you to get involved in whatever level you can. The important thing is that we all pray more until we see breakthrough now the last thing in that passage, the passage concludes with, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Out of all we're doing, I want to see more people come to faith. I'm desperate, I'm passionate, I want to see people come to faith. You know, we've done so many initiatives over the years. And we've seen some, but I want to see more. There are essentially two ways of doing evangelism. Crisis evangelism and process evangelism. With crisis evangelism, you arrange meetings, preach the gospel, perhaps with healing, and ask for an immediate response for people, much like um, Billy Graham would have done. He was gifted at doing it. He was, and I honour him, I want to honour him this morning, you know, in his departure, I was in tears this week because he's, he's been such a, a man of influence across the church. Um, but, you know, he had a particular gift to preach the gospel and people would respond. When I preach the gospel, people just say, oh, okay, that's nice, and walk away. <laughs> I'm not gifted in that same way. I've not got the gift of an evangelist. But what I can do is walk people through a process. And that's what we've been doing for a number of years. And that's why we've chosen to do process evangelism, helping people to understand the truth, breaking down those barriers, breaking down uh, the, the issues that people have with the church and with God and with Christianity and so on. And so we walk people through a process, and we've been doing that for a number of years through, through Alpha and then through Christianity Explored, the Y course, the Discovery course, the Rediscovery course. And we've seen people come to faith as a result of those activities. But there is a danger in doing that, that it's left just to the people running courses. We're all responsible as witnesses. And we can only fill those courses if we all bring our friends, talk to our family, reach out to our neighbours, connect with people who don't know Jesus and begin to talk to them and begin to share our faith with them. I'm I'm challenged at the moment as to how we can do this more. But actually it's come down to me, or or I've come down to the fact that it has to be all of us together. If we want to see people one for for, for Jesus, we've got to talk about Jesus. If we want to see people come into faith, we've got to share our faith. It's not going to happen unless we all do it. The Lord added to their number because they were devoted. And we need to be devoted and committed to seeing people come to faith and then we can populate our courses and see more people come through and that's not to say we may not do some of the sort of more crisis evangelism events perhaps we need to get an evangelist amongst us who can who can do some of that that who's gifted in that kind of way To know anyone anyone fancy doing it <laughs> but but the important thing is that we're all taking responsibility Because we all have an influence. We all have a circle of friends. We all have people who we can contact uniquely. And we all have people who we can just share something about what God has done for us with. Often people need to put their trust in us before they'll put their trust in God. They need to know that we haven't got six heads and green eyes Well, I have got green eyes, (laughs) actually. But that comes from that walking in friendship and in fellowship so that people can then put their trust in Jesus. And all this ties back to prayer. And I believe that as we commit ourselves to pray for one or two other of our unsaved friends, we'll begin to see a breaking down of the resistance as they begin their journey to faith. So, teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. A core to what I believe we need to do, what we need to be, and what we will be going forward. And may God add to us as we continue faithfully in all of those things. That, I believe, is what God is calling us to. So, please, fill in your forms. Take the review. In fact, I'll get them to be given out so that everybody has a copy. Thank you. (laughs) But remember, this year, devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer, and to telling our neighbor that Jesus loves them. Amen.